Welcome to the A-Game Podcast with Nick LaMagna, digging into the minds and experiences of some of today's brightest entrepreneurs in real estate and business, along with Hollywood stars, UFC fighters, and your favorite rock bands. People that have figured out how to overcome obstacles, take chances, live boldly, and no matter what they do, they always bring their A-Game. All right, my guest today on the A-Game podcast is Rory Singer, who is a, a former UFC professional MMA fighter, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, a Golden Gloves, a Muay Thai champion, a business owner. He runs a Straight Blast Gym in Athens, Georgia, and he gets to work every single day with one of my favorite people, Lucas Federico. Rory Singer, thank you for coming on today, man. I know we were just uh, chatting a little bit before we got on. It's crazy times kind of on lockdown and um you know i was just telling you that although i'm plastering my face all over social media doing podcasts and stuff i i it's a necessary part of getting out there for the business that i'm in but it makes me uncomfortable and i feel weird doing it and i wish somebody else's face could just do it and i could just puppeteer it but um i do like talking to people and i just feel bad bothering them or asking them well you want to do my podcast so i really appreciate that i was like hey who's got some downtime and you were like dude i'm down I was like, awesome. I would love to get on and uh, send you the link and you, you got it and we're talking, man. So I appreciate it. I'll let you do uh, a quick intro for yourself as well, a little bit of uh, uh, who you are and what you do, but you wear a lot of caps. You're, uh, you're a pioneer and an OG in the martial arts game. I mean, what, uh, first professional fight 2001. I was reading up on you also. You got all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of different martial arts and you're just uh, a certified badass, dude. So um, take it away a little bit. Talk a little bit about what you've been doing and what you did in the past. Well, you certainly hit them all. Uh, <laughs> former UFC fighter, was on season three of The Ultimate Fighter. Uh, been fortunate enough to be around a sport. Like I said, I made my professional debut in 2001, entered the UFC in 2000, and I guess the show was 2006. Uh, made, you know, I fought professionally until 2009, been training mixed martial arts and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for 20 plus years, third degree black belt. Uh, earned my Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt under Professor Roberto Travin, but really probably outside of my brother Adam, who's also a third degree black belt, you know, coach DeForest Griffin, Brian Bowles, Carmelo Marrero, uh, 12, you know, about a dozen UFC fighters. But uh, so we got our black, our black belts from uh, Roberto Travin, but probably consider outside of Adam, uh, Matt Thornton, probably my next coach, uh, who's a fourth, degree going on fifth degree I want to say uh tell you you know Higgin Chris How Higgin Machado Chris Howder but you know been a black belt for a long time head of the organization I'm a part of Straight Blast Gym Athens or Straight Blast Gym Straight Blast Gym Athens being my academy where your cousin Lucas uh not only trains but you know owns with us now and has been a part of uh the tribe for quite some time and uh, like you said when you opened up it is a strange time and we are trying to make the most of uh, distance learning, online learning, and to keep the tribe together and strong during these very uncertain times. But uh, father of two, not so, uh, it's been difficult, but uh, eight-year-old and a five-year-old, it's been a little bit difficult homeschooling them and doing this uh, quite differently than, than I'm used to. But uh, two awesome little kids who also do jujitsu and mixed martial arts and wrestle and all that good stuff. And uh, my amazing wife, April, who 
is going to be on the front line soon because they just found out that she works for the uh, Department of Public Health here in, uh, where we live in Georgia. Uh, they're about to retest them, I think, and maybe put them on the front lines of uh, COVID testing. So that'll be a little bit different when that happens. Man, but, uh, but yeah, that's around there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, a, a bunch of things I definitely want to talk to you about and jump into. Uh, first off, uh, I do got to say that for Irene, I remember it must have been 2005, 2006. Um, I was at a wedding with uh, with Lucas and we were both kind of just getting into jujitsu and I was like talking about where I might want to go and he was like dude if you go anywhere but train with a guy like Matt Sarah he's like you're you're crazy like being able to go do that and he was one of the guys who helped kind of push me in that direction and just like slap me around a little bit for different stuff and um right off the bat he was telling me uh, about you and for years man he's always said really really great things about you and about Adam and about the gym and the character of you guys as people and the people that he's training there under so um no, I don't know. I, I know he's he likes to to kind of bust balls and stuff like that, but I know that he definitely has a lot of respect for you. And you know, he he always says nothing but great things about you and everybody that's around that gym and all those people, man. So uh, I appreciate you taking good care of him and being good to him. Um, also, I definitely wanted to touch on. Uh, you know, it's 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 kind of funny because it's I've been all over the country for I don't know ten years now, training at all these different jujitsu places and meeting all these different people. And I always call and I run it by Matt just out of respect. You know, hey, any reason I shouldn't go here? Or who do you recommend out there? And uh, one guy, Eddie Fivey, that I was just um, I trained with him a bunch of times at Matt's. He texted me when we were out in California a couple of months ago, and I was like, hey man, like you're out here, I want to train with you. And he actually texted me and was like, oh, I'm going to Chris Hodder's garage if you want to come roll. And I was like, actually, I have to work, but that name's been coming up a lot. And I was like, man, there's it's so cool that, uh, you know, I'm going somewhere with this, but like being able to have guys like you and, and just being able to travel and like, you see these guys fighting on TV for years and years and coming up on the ultimate fighter and guys like you that we watch and guys like Matt that we watch that make us want to train and make us get into jujitsu. And then you can go like train at the gym and then they corner you for their fights and you can literally just like talk to them on social media. Like it's, it's really cool having people that you look up to that in the MMA community and the jujitsu community, you can literally just connect with and train with. And I think that's a really cool thing. And I'd say in 10 years of traveling all these different places, if I said I met like three people through the jujitsu community that were dicks, that's probably a lot. Like usually it's, it's such a great community and people are really, really awesome. And I remember talking to Matt a little bit about this and he was like, man, what's really cool. Cause I got my brother to come down and start training and he fell in love and he's got like, better friends now and like just a better attitude and his whole life's been better because of that support group and the people around him and matt's always like dude he's like the mats are the land of misfit toys he's like we all come together and we all help each other and you know now that people aren't able to train i think i forgot how sane it makes me doing something insane like going and choking all your friends and just getting that stress out. Cause even when I'm struggling with work and I'm overwhelmed, I'm like, I can't go to jujitsu today. I have too much to do. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to go. And I go. And even if I just get pummeled and choked and beat up and I come back, I'm like, I feel amazing now. Like, and I have a whole new perspective on whatever I couldn't figure out before. And just a bad day on the mats makes a bad day so much better. So um, what do you find? And like, are you still connecting with your students? Cause I'm sure your Academy is no different that people that really didn't have a home found when they're, and you guys, from what I hear from Lucas and what I saw when I was down there, you guys do become a family and friends and do everything together. So, um, like, how are you adapting and helping your students in your gym adapt to not being able to have that outlet? 
I definitely agree. And the thing that I'm probably most proud of when you talk about, you know, uh, the community is, is, you know, we say one tribe, one vibe, that's an SBG thing. Uh, and it's on my walls at the, at the, at the Academy here in Athens. But one of the things that I'm probably most proud of, and I believe we have done as well, if not better than most is, is create a culture and a community, uh, a closeness that, that really, like I said, I haven't really, I've, I found that other SPGs, but, and I'm sure others would tell you that their, their cultures and their, their tribe are strong, but I honestly think that's the thing that we, we've created better than just about anything else. And you know, I've had people come in and tell me that they'd put my culture above those of Fortune 500 companies because they've worked with Fortune 500 companies. And like you said, everyone finds jujitsu for different reasons. They find the martial arts for different reasons. I will put Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu above just about all of them as far as their efficacy, at least, and abilities to get people, you know, learning how to defend themselves. But they all come for different reasons. And then they realize that uh, what they find on the mats and with the other people and the connections that they make are end up becoming more important to them than the health benefits and the self-defense benefits uh, that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu give you, it's that community, that closeness, you know, uh, people in the, military, in the military always talk about it being the next best thing to that closest that they found in the military, which is why you see so many military people that have, that find Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and, and quickly learn to love it. You know, guys like Jacko, uh, my friend Andy Stumpf, who's uh, out in Montana at Straight Blast Gym, uh, Kalispell in Montana with my buddy Travis Davison, you know, these guys, these warriors that lose or miss that and are looking for that they find it but then just the housewife the dad uh the librarian the 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 person in college that are you know looking to be a part of something bigger than themselves and then all of a sudden are we allowed to curse on this absolutely how's your how's your cursing all right i might not need it now but just want to make sure for later (laughs) but it's like over that's it like you are now stuck at home no more than 10 people, six feet apart. And who that, you know, who, who can safely, so who could do that with a good conscience now, which is why we shut the gym down before we even told to. We were like, I think we were the first fitness facility in my town that shut down. People were putting forth all these, like all the things they were going to do to keep you safe during COVID. It's like garbage, garbage. It's either you're there and you're not worried about it or you're not there. And then we just, we shut it down because my conscience can handle it. So that all goes away. And all this, this, you know, we are, we are social creatures and jujitsu is very social. Even if you're not necessarily having a conversation about what someone did last night or what shows they're watching, it is very social. And you were just having that kind of conversation for lack of a better phrase with your bodies and with your jujitsu. And then, all right, well now it's gone. So how do you keep all those people connected and still a part of something that is so tactile? So you asked, you know, we've been getting on the phones with everybody. We have both last week when it went down and this week, everybody in my academy has been touched by one of our coaches in some way. Hopefully it's been on the phone. If not, it goes to text or a voicemail or Facebook and it's like you get a response. So everybody's been touched in that way we're doing all like like everybody has had to very quickly learn how to take all your stuff online and I'm fortunate that i've got a great staff of people we've got a great organization 
So the organization is delivering content like, you know, it's like it's just it's like it's like a vomit of content. I say that in a good way, but it is just this just, you know, and you lose a lot of it, but it's there. It's keeping people connected. We're putting out our own content on a schedule. People have that schedule. Then it's being uploaded uh, into the cloud for, you know, prosperity's sake as a repository. So if somebody misses the class that we have going on, you know, at four o'clock, which there should be one right now that's either going on live or being uploaded into our page. But if you miss that, well, here's our classroom. You can go find it in the classroom. And it's, been a little, it's a little bit of a learning curve. You know, I got a Zoom uh, account so that we could do some live Zooms, even if it's not just Q&A, but it's like, how many people can I get on the screen and how many people can we see because we miss that one-on-one -on -one or that, that group contact. So it's, I, miss, I miss seeing people's faces. You know, it's just like, yeah, I got my kids and stuff, but I'm used to seeing a couple hundred people every couple days walk through my academy, whether they're doing training for warriors in the dojo and getting a good workout, or they're doing a striking class or an MMA class, or we're just grappling and learning. You know, with a, you know, I've got nine black belts who are regularly in the gym that I'm training with and rolling around with and bettering my own jujitsu. And uh, it's just, it's gone. It's, it's, it's difficult. It's, you know, can't, you hope that your culture is strong enough. And when I hear other gyms and i won't mention anyone by name because that's not what we're talking about but when i hear that other gyms are worried about closing their doors after two weeks it's like two freaking weeks we their their members can't get through two weeks and it's not all because of financial it's because like all right well i was only coming here for a workout and i'm not getting a workout anymore we have we've created a place where it's like the martial arts are the least important thing that we do. That's what I'm proud of. That's what's going to get us through this. When other places are shutting down because their shit's weak, and I'm sorry, but if you're already thinking about shutting down two weeks in, not answering your phone because you're afraid of all the calls you're getting or will be getting or are and will, then what you've created is weak. It is not... It is, it is not a community. It's not a tribe. It is a workout facility. It is a gym. I do my best to call what SBG Athens is an academy, even though it's straight blast gym. That's 25 years. You're not going to fix that now. We call it an academy, but it's more than just a gym. It is more than just a place to get a workout. It's more than just a place to do martial arts. And, you know, it's going to take some work because we're not there anymore, you know, hands-on but we'll get through this i think as well as as well as any other business that does get through this gets through it i agree with that man i i um when you say it like that i wouldn't hesitate in two seconds to call up the place that i go to lift weights and hit the treadmill like the actual gym i'd be like cancel my shit i, I don't care but i wouldn't even think for a second I, I mean i'm on the road all the time i i can probably count on one hand no pun intended how many times I've been to Lagos, but I have never canceled my, because, you know, again, it's, it's the community and it's being that business. And I know that everybody who does that, like that could potentially contribute towards taking that. If that goes away, that affects a lot of people, not just me, because they're people that that's their home. That's their salvation. That's their church. You know what I mean? And anything I can do to, to support that, I'm always going to, but it wouldn't have even crossed my mind to, to do that because just like you said, the culture. And I remember it's actually funny because it was me and, um, 
And freaking Lucas, dude, I call him up and I set up a training with Chris Weidman. And like, I'm like, dude, come down. We're going to train. And uh, he comes down and like nobody else shows up except for Weidman and uh, the Manimal, John Beneduce, who's been fighting professionally, has black belt probably longer than I've been training. And Weidman, who just is a freaking monster. And Lucas is like, oh, I got a thing in my throat. I'm not going to train. I'm like, you're going to leave me to go freaking roll just with these three. So he set me up for failure there. I took a beating and he walks and laughed. But then afterwards I was talking about like how much I love the culture. And I was like, I meet really cool people, but I don't get that like that vibe in every other place they go. Some places, like the place they got out in Chicago is awesome with Mark Turner, BJJ Lab under Damian Maya, awesome. But you don't find that everywhere that you can go in at six in the morning. And there's times I'll go to the 6 a.m. class and I won't leave mats until four or five o'clock. And I, I was like, wow, what happened? And I turned around and Lucas was like, I have that at my gym. And I was like, that's awesome, dude. Like right away, he was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly what we have here. And um, even his friendships over the years, like a lot of the names of the fighters that wound up kind of coming out through your gym, I knew way before because Lucas was always coming out and just being like, man, I had training with Bowles and Ledbetter and the Miller brothers and Micah and all these guys, man. Like you guys have had so many big solid names come through that um, I don't even think people realize how many people have come under you and your brother. And uh, that's another thing I wanted to, to kind of get into, because I know you guys started out at the hardcore gym. I think you were maybe ATT for a little while, if I remember correctly. And then um, we were affiliated, we were affiliated with ATT for a little while. Uh, we think it was, uh, it was, you know, we were the hardcore gym when we first started. Then uh, at some point, as I started fighting more and, and, and then, but also had doing some traveling and whatnot, uh, and I love Laborio. We loved Laborio. Still love Laborio. Still, he's he's a phenomenal human being. We, my mom lives right near there in Boca, so it was like I was traveling a bunch, and I was also going to visit my mom and stuff or other things. Like, all right, well, you know, let's. Uh, I would go over there and train, and then after a while, I just it was a great resource. It's a great resource for us to send our guys to. You see that happen a lot, where gyms send fighters there and whatnot. So. This is earlier. I mean, this is back in the days, 2007 or whatever it was, 2008. So we we did an affiliation with the uh, American Top Team. Uh, we were we just we weren't straight with we weren't necessarily affiliated with SBG at the time. There was just a period of time when we were sort of separated from them. Uh, Adam was I still Adam was still friends with you know with Coach Matt and, and Matt Thorne and whatnot, but we just weren't a part of SBG at the time. So we were affiliated with American Top Team. Then we got our black belts from uh, Roberto Travins, so we eventually joined his association, uh, and then we got back in touch and together with SBG, and it was just sort of like old friends that hadn't seen each other in a while, just pick up right where you left off, and uh, so we wanted to bring ourselves back into the fold of, of Straight Blast Gym, and uh, so I got on the phone with Dan, Dan Lambert. I was like, listen, I want to do this the right way. And you've been nothing but good to us. But this is sort of what's gone on. He was like, dude, he, he completely understood and appreciated the call. Fast forward a little bit or fast forward a couple of years after that. And it's like, all right, well, I don't want to be SBG and uh, TRT, you know, uh, the Roberto Travis Association. Uh, so I just I took him out to lunch and was like, listen, man, I want to do this the right way. We want to go back to our roots. You know, this is where we started. We had started with, you know, uh, Matt years ago. We were one of the first coaches. I think Adam was the first coach outside of Portland uh, and then outside of maybe our friend Luis uh, Gutierrez. So it was like Luis was the first coach outside of Portland, and then it was like Adam, then it was me. We were like Southeast, Southeast Regional Directors when he had those. So 
you know, we were there in the beginning, but then took a little time off, came back. And then over time, just like, listen, this is where our heart is. This is where our people are. This is where our tribe is. We truly felt that and believed it and wanted to just bring it all back to just like one thing and one brand. And this is who we are and what we help to grow. And these are the methods we've used that have helped create world champions. Uh, and, you know, this is the jiu-jitsu Adam's always taught in this way. And this, these, these uh, training methods and whatnot, the methodology was always straight flash gym methodology, especially with my brother being a scientist, Matt wanting to create jiu-jitsu scientists. And we just brought it all the way back, you know, to, to SBG uh, and then changed the name back in 2016 from the hardcore gym to SBG. Ever wanted to play the drums? While you're home, take an online drum lesson for free or get some online drum lessons for your kids so they can burn some energy while they are all cooped up. Take advantage of this special opportunity to take a free online drum lesson with one of the tri-state area's most respected and well-known drummers, Danny Lamagna. Dan has played with such bands as Suicide City, Sworn Enemy, Biohazard, Crown of Thorns, Walls of Jericho, The Real Mackenzies. He is also endorsed by DW, Sabian, Vader, and has tons of experience teaching kids, adults, and all different types of music styles, and has played in bands all around the world. Dan is giving a free lesson to see if it's a great fit for you and can give all types of great specials right now to get you guys involved. Do not wait. Go on his website, www.danlamagna.com slash lessons. That's www.danlamagna.com slash lessons, or check the show notes for this podcast and there will be links in there as well. Again, free drum lesson with one of the most well-known drummers in the tri-state area, Dan LaMagna. www.danlamagna.com slash lessons. You will not regret it. Nice, man. Nice. Awesome. I came out for, um, I forgot to ask you, now that I'm thinking about when I came out there that time, was Paul Sharp there? You came out for a camp, I believe in 2016. We held the camp there. We do two, uh, two yearly training camps at Straight Blast Gym on like a lot of times different coasts. So you came out for that. And yes, Paul Sharp was there, uh, the, the father of, uh, of, of South Korean Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. John Frankel was there, I believe, at that time. Uh, uh, unfortunately, John was not at my – well, I don't think Kavanaugh was at, was at the camp in 2016. But, uh, yeah, how, do, do you know Paul? Have, did you, have you trained with him? I have not, but he's not far from where I am. And I remember I sent my location to Lucas, and he was like, dude, you're right by Cole Sharp. And I didn't even put it together because I'm friends with him on, uh, on social media. But only when you were just talking about it, I was playing the visual back in my head, and I was like, wait a minute. I think that he was there. And I, I remember talking to him a little bit there, but that was a really, really cool experience. I had idiot at work that a thing I had to leave early. But um, that was really cool. And you guys did something that I'd never seen before. So when you did your promotions – and you did that, uh, is it called Ironman? Yep, yeah, the Ironman. So the Ironman belt ceremony, which is something That's... we do. Your cousin Lucas went through it. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that he got his black belt, uh, all things considered. But we stopped doing them at the camps because they almost became punitive. You could have <laughs> 150 people at a camp, get your black belt, have to grapple all of them. So... Matt's been doing these for what? I mean, SPG has been around 25-something-plus years, and he's been doing the Ironman belt ceremony. Anytime you color up, so 
get your blue, your purple, but your brown, your black, uh, depending on, you know, the gym and, or the night or however they, we, 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 uh, we schedule them now used to be that you just walk into the gym sometimes. It's like, all right, here's your blue belt. You can grapple everybody in the gym that's here, but we schedule them. So they're a much bigger community thing. And Matt's been, you know, the first, Matt was the first to ever, to ever do those. You know, a lot of times people get whipped with belts, which I think is obscene and ridiculous. (laughs) So our tradition, our uh, thing has always been the Ironman belt ceremony. So again, we have had upwards of a hundred people on a mat during one of our belt ceremonies, not even at a camp, just in the gym. And uh, you go through, depending on, what belt you are and how many people are there and just try and keep things a little bit, you know, moving. We'll separate a couple of people out where, you know, this group of people will go with this blue belt. And then every, you know, everybody goes with the purple, the brown, the black, sometimes depending on how, uh, how many people we have, but yeah, everybody grapples everyone. It's, it's, it's a ceremony. It's, it's, it's a celebration. It is a chance for the person in the middle to hug as many pieces people as possible and grapple with them. And it's a chance to say, thank you. we, can't do this without our training partners right and then it's a chance for everybody who comes in touches and bumps and then tries to you know murder you because basically what we do it's a chance for them to say congratulations because you get called out onto the mat before you start so you've earned the belt so when we did the last one we had three blue belts three blue belts two brown belts and or sorry three blue belts two purple belts, a brown belt, and a black belt. So we had seven. And uh, you're already that thing. Like, you are that belt. So when Coach Adam, who, you know, usually runs them, he's, he, he brings everyone out, says a little word about them, and then you come on a mat, it's like, hey, so-and-so's getting a blue belt. Everybody claps, you know, 100-something people clapping and cheering, and you're that belt. So it's not a contest. It's not a test. If you submit them, we don't swap the belts out. It is just, it is just a ceremony. It's tradition. It's celebration, and uh, they're a lot of fun. So you saw that in in Athens in 2016, and it wasn't much longer after that, maybe another year or so, where Coach Matt then just started to give the belts out, and then you take it back home and you do your Ironman with your full tribe because not everybody can travel, so you get a black belt. And then not everybody can travel to, to join in on that. So we decided you get the belt. It's from Matt. And a lot of the times the black belts are gym owners or head coaches. But then they get to go back and enjoy that experience with all their students. It's pretty cool. It was wild to watch. Like, I remember sitting there with Lucas. And I, uh, there was a guy. There's a couple of black belts that day. But I remember there was one, like, kind of lanky guy with, like, a green mohawk. And, Gus. Uh, Gus Moulton. Yeah, he's, uh, he's black belt under – Travis Davison, who has his black belt under Matt, and and he owns one of the uh, the SBG gyms. I believe he owns. Uh, that's not Big Fork, Kalispell, Whitefish, Big Fork, and obviously it's gonna escape me now. But he owns one of the Montana SBGs. He and his wife. Nice. And uh, he fought some MMA back in the day. But yeah, like six, six, seven, something like that. Big dude. But and just, he's I mean, really good. the amount of people that were there, and I was like, he has to roll with every one of them. And Lucas was like, yep. Like, I think we had 150. I think we had 150 in Athens in 2016. 
Dude, I felt so bad. And I remember, I think it was uh, Matt Thornton when he first started out. He kind of looked at like the newer belts, like the like the white belt section. And he was like, "Remember, one day you're gonna be there, like, and they're gonna remember." And like, sure enough, there was a couple of guys that were like slap, and then just oh, and I was like, "Oh, what a dick move! This guy's gonna roll with like 150 people, and you're coming out guns blazing. You're number 44. You know, like, what are you doing?" But overall, people were cool, and it, it was awesome, man. And at the end, like those guys really earned that, man. That was a cool experience. But I remember getting dude, and I remember uh. Once there was that, like that time where things started to catch on, the ultimate fire was kind of catching on. And now you're getting more of like the people coming in for, for health and for fitness. Like all of a sudden one day Matt just walked in and he was like, yeah, uh, we did promotions. And like, I think there was a kid's class that had just swapped out and some of the kids and the parents stood around and it was like, wah, 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 wah. and they're like, yeah, we can't do that anymore. And it just never happened again. Yeah. People like, still do that. It's just, I, I, you know, again, we don't do McCants anymore because they ended up becoming punitive because two and a half, sometimes three hours of grappling everyone in the room because the black belts grapple through to submission, whether they submit or get submitted. Uh, again, so we don't do them like that. So they're less punitive. So again, I, I feel like that the, the, the belt hitting, it's like, I mean, isn't what we do macho enough? <laughs> isn't what we do physical enough? We basically simulate murdering each other do we then just have to take belts and welt each other on the back like come on we put gloves on and punch each other in the face do we need to whip each other with belts so i definitely i love the iron man uh i love when when we do it at the academy and there are a hundred something people in the room and then there's family in the room and friends it's it's such an incredible experience it's such an incredible uh tribe building thing you know everybody in sharing in each other's growth which is one of the things that i love the most about brazilian jiu-jitsu is that we all share in each other's growth as martial artists as human beings we share and 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 celebrate all the things not just the new belts but the weight loss the new job just that but the bond that is that has grown even though it's a and we're in this competitive thing we're doing this thing that you know is that's coach matt talks is alive and we're trying to win on on some level uh the bonds that that grows is the bonds that grow is so strong especially when everybody's on the mat doing it to the betterment of, you know, of, of trying everybody to get better that's next to them. It's not a competition. I want to beat you and be better than you. It is, I want you to get better so I can get better. Because if the white belt on the mat gets better, then eventually I get better because enough people are going to touch one another and we're just going to build that ladder to the top of the list, you know, the top of the ladder. It's, we all get better doing that. And to be able to come together in a ceremony and celebrate that and see everybody grow closer together and other people that earn some belts and some stripes that aren't blues and above. Uh, it's just, it's such an empowering thing. And again, it's, it's one of those things where, why I, why I feel like we're going to come through this. We're going to be okay where others may not because they haven't created that. Yeah. And think about how awesome it's going to be when we get back on those mats and everybody gets to like, I feel like the appreciation for that, is going to be amazing when you finally get out and everybody gets to hug and then strangle each other and then just hang out and be out. Like, um, I think there's, it's, I was talking to somebody about it yesterday, maybe my partner, Nicole, but I feel like there's almost going to be like a renaissance. You know what I mean? Like all the days that I think back of, I'm beating myself up of like, 
you know, I should have gone last Monday, but my fat ass got lazy. And now I can't go like, you're like, you, it makes you appreciate that much more than I'm like, dude, I'm double time and I'm going to go back there. I'm going to, I'm going to catch up on these things, but I just can't wait to get back there on the mat here in Chicago or in New York, man. And, um, you know, for SPG, uh, it's cool watching how I, I see a lot less politics now than ever that, you know, people are cool and they represent each other and they respect each other. Like everybody's trains pretty well together. And I know, um, our, our guy, Al Jermaine, the funk master Sterling, hopefully, uh, be fighting for a title sometime in the near future, but he actually went out to Ireland and he trained there. Uh, SPG and I know Matt Serra always says really great things about Kavanaugh and what a great guy he is when they see him at the fights and stuff. So um, I just it's cool, man. Like I like the it's really a we're, even people who've met once or you just know a guy who knows a guy and you you know you send us somebody over there and then Matt hears that like oh I went down to SPG Athens and they treated you good and like now you're good in that book. Like it's it's just a really really cool environment. And I, I think that people who are part of it don't understand what it is and the respect that goes there and really it's. It's, I've never seen anything like it. I've never felt anything like it, but it's, it's almost, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much worldwide now. It's just, it's an amazing thing, man. I just think it's a really cool thing to be a part of. And I, I mean, speaking of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, obviously, right? So the, the thing that Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu has, I believe that is missing in a lot of other martial arts is the fact that you actually have to do the thing. Like to get better percentages, you have to do it. So everyone every day is their egos are tested. Their intestinal and mental fortitude is tested. And the ones who fail that test, they go. The ones who can't handle not being the cock of the loft, they usually go. And what you're left with is not always the strongest physically and not always in the beginning the strongest mentally or the strongest physically and mentally uh, tough people. What you are left with are people that are finding their inner strength every day on the mats. And you don't find that in fake martial arts. You don't find that in nonsense. You don't find that in lines uh, punching and kicking the air and screaming uh, and made up forms and dance routines and people who are unwilling to get dirty, so to say, you know, the blood, the sweat, the tears that will come eventually at some level in a mixed martial arts Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym. But the people who stick around, they end up being some of the toughest mentally and physically people you'll find because it was inside them and it came out through every day of dreading going to the gym, but they went anyway. Every day of being uncomfortable and uncomfortable situations, but they got through it. Like recently I shared, and I need to do a little bit more of it, but I shared a, a, a video interview I did with one of my, one of my students, uh, Michaela. She's, I know she's in her 40s. I don't want to say wrong because I don't want to be rude, but I know she's in her 40s, early 40s mother of two teenage girls, married, husband with a demanding job. She's a sculptor, does like large pieces. And for like the first month or six weeks that she was at the, at the academy, she was very afraid, very unsure, had no idea really what she was doing or, or she just was just, was just uncomfortable. But she, she learned how to deal with it. And then one day she got on a mat, this 40-ish woman, the mother of two, artist, 
and went to one of our what we call blitz kind of like a, a very like a more intense live rolling session and uh with a lot of the men in the gym some younger some older and she survived it and realized she was a lot tougher than she really gave herself credit for and she you know has now been there for some amount of months and she's loving it and this is like this like I said earlier it's become like her church uh the things she needs and that that happens because she was able to get on a mat and do it and was able to be to, to sort of get weathered and tougher and those bonds that this woman has made now with the men and the women at the academy have created something that you don't find again you don't find it at all the other martial arts and the ones that have it possibly the unfortunate part of it is a lot of that confidence and that bonding has been built on like a very false foundation where they don't know how to defend themselves if the, you know, if the crap hits the fan. They have this confidence because they've got 900 belts, which they paid like $1,500 to receive, which is another story. Uh, they can do all these katas and epods and all these things, and they've got all these belts, and they're 9 and 10 and 11, 12 years old, and they got a black belt. But if they ever had to, to use it, it would fail miserably most likely someone a little bit older someone a little bit bigger a little bit stronger a little bit more aggressive and most of that stuff goes out the window i know i did a lot of it for the first 10 something years of of my martial arts uh so you put all those pieces together and you find such a you create such strong bonds with people and now you take everybody away from that and, and this is you know the world we live in today uh but which is why when you talk about mats and when you talk about these other facilities you've been to, the large majority of them are like that. Not all of them. I've been to those places where I'm not going back the next time I visit. A big part of that is the leadership, the way the place is run, the, uh, the culture they're trying to create. Is it a culture where we're just going to beat each other and the stronger survive? Welcome to the Hardcore Gym 19. 99 2001 when i think of all the people that we could have helped but we didn't necessarily know any better then but you have you know young guys who are running these facilities they're really big competitors or that's really the thing and that's what they get there'll be a different love they'll have for one another and it's one that existed in 2001 2002 with the hardcore gym four five and six because we needed each other and we had a tight group of guys that did that weren't selfish that came in they did their camp and then they're gone we all realized we needed each other we we're all there for one another somebody had to fight as long as they were healthy didn't matter how many days it took but as long as they were healthy bam back in the gym so we've now taken that to moms and dads and kids that we get to keep people come in and we don't lose them right away and then we find out that having that person that we would have lost in the old days be stronger, be more confident, and be a better human being strengthens all of us in the tribe. And it creates some bonds that you really can't create or that don't get created uh, in that same sincere manner uh, in other places. Now, I think that's very well said, man. And I agree with the leadership there. That's why... You know, almost daily, I'm getting 
uh, WhatsApps with my whole gym in Chicago from Mark Turner and he's checking up on people and trying to do like a group whiskey night and things like that and putting up content all the time. And like, it just really makes a difference. Even like, you know, I, I don't, I try not to bother Matt Sarah, but you know, he just sent me a text yesterday, like just checking in, man. And I was like, that stuff goes such a long way when you know that like, you know, a guy like you has so many people in your gym. So just reaching out, saying hello, checking on people. That's the kind of thing that makes good leadership and makes you want to follow that. And I think, you know, again, one of the things you found is, especially for an MMA gym, you know, uh, I remember going to the old boxing gyms in New York and it was like, all right, you, you take two or three classes and then the next week you're sparring and you're sparring with the guy and they're just going to kick your ass. And like the guy had like four students because it was just, you know, you're, you're tough and you're going to fight or you're going to leave. But now you're, you're running it now like a business. So yeah, you have fighters there, but you also have to, you know, put food on the table and you have to pay bills and, so there has to be a, a, a probably a little bit of a, a variation there. And I remember Longo was like talking me through it through the process of when I first started going there. And I was like, dude, I came in with fights and he wouldn't let me spar. And then slowly it was like one uh, like lead hand sparring and then only the body. And then like eventually, because he was like, look, I, I want to protect the people that come here because most people aren't fighting. He's like, you know, I need I need longevity. I want people to feel safe. I want to give them a good environment. He's like, but then there's the other side of the people that are going to fight. I have to make sure that I'm preparing them for that battle as well. So like knowing who and when to do that stuff, um, was that, uh, I'm assuming, because uh, you reminded me of it, probably a difficult transition. And I assume like, you know, you're older now, you're more mature when you were younger in your fight and it was a little bit of that. But how did you start to see that transition and realize that you had to treat different clients and different members in a different way for the business versus the way you run, you run and train just fighters? I mean... I think with, I think before we truly knew what we were doing, and that probably happened in like 2010, we had put in some programs that weren't what they are now, but in a similar vein, we put in like beginner programs, like foundations programs, where we tried to get some people who first came in, uh, some basic skills to get them to be able to train with other people. At the same time you're doing that, you're also trying to make everyone understand that, hey, you have to be able to learn. You have to be able to train with everyone in the room, usually at their level. If you're at the top, you have to come down to that level. You have to be safe because white belts and new people are, can sometimes be spastic and hurt you. Uh, but you have to learn, you have to create, and I think it's something we, we've learned to do over the years and just gotten better at it. You have to learn to create an environment where everyone can train with someone. Not gonna train, you know, Brian Bowles gearing up for a fighter in fight camp wasn't training with the newest person always. Most of the time he wasn't. But some nights maybe he was. But most nights he was gonna get after it with the people he needed to get after it with. And then if you didn't need to get after it with someone, then you got after it with someone who you were much better than and you had some fun and you learned how to do that. That takes a long time. I understand you're raised like, well, I'm not, you, you fought, but I don't fucking know you. Like, who are you? I get purple belts and brown belts coming to the gym. Oftentimes, they're, they're, they're taking my foundations classes. And... They're going to take foundations classes because they need to learn about how we do things, about some of our philosophies, because you can't just let someone go with your general population 
if you are unsure of how that's going to go down, because if, if you turn your back to it and they go with someone and they hurt that person, well, then that's your fault because you didn't, you didn't vet them properly and people need to be vetted. Uh, so over the years, it's not so much that we, we, we had less fighters. Like it was, it was, it was a, a conscious decision to move away from that. In the beginning, we didn't really – I don't think we knew how to, how to do both. So we just – we started trying to run it more like a business. And when you run it more like a business, then you have to start – you end up learning – you end up catering a little bit more to that 80% that's not going to fight, right? So that's – part of that happens. For us, we also had a lot of guys who moved on. So it kind of happened somewhat simultaneously. We were trying to create this business and learn how to run it properly and marketing and other things like just better foundations classes and better systems, putting, putting better systems in place like with any business. And while that was happening, a lot of our guys were sort of moving on for no other reason than their fighting careers were ending and they had to go get real jobs and the gym could not support them the way that they want to be supported. So there was no ill will. Like Kel Yarbrough in the UFC, he ended up, you know, graduating and fighting for a little bit, but then he started to want to do other things. So he left Jared Burke, who fought in Bellator, and Stephen Ledbetter, who fought in the WEC, and, other, you know, Carmelo Marrero, and all the, like these people. It's just like fighting was ending for them. And they did the right thing. They let it end. They didn't draw it out making a little bit of money because the money back then wasn't the money it is now. Back then, you know, <laughs> I, win, I win a submission of the night bonus in my first UFC fight, 43-second triangle against Ross Poyen, which is still the UFC middleweight record for fastest submission. Nice. Don't you forget it. <laughs> but, like, my submission of the night bonus in 2006 was $5,000. Now it's fifty, right? So – the money was not the same as it is now. People couldn't support themselves then like they do now. So people started leaving. We started running this business a little differently, trying to be more, trying to get kids in the door and a, older adults in the door, not just have them get murdered on their first night or within the first week and then have them go away and then lose out, you know, lose out on the, the business side of that. But then you realize as a coach what your what like what your main function is as a coach and yes as the mixed martial arts coach part of your function is to help the dude who wants to be a world champion but part of your function as a coach is to help the dude or that lady who want to lose 100 pounds or feel more confident walking down the street at night or that person who just needs something to keep them sane in sometimes an insane world and it just, it sort of happens. Like when people ask me, did, you know, did you set out for the, for the academy to be this? I'm like, not really. Did you set out to, you know, be one of the top MMA gyms? There was a point in time when the hardcore gym was one of the top MMA gyms in the world. You had two world champions, a dozen dudes in the UFC, four people on the Ultimate Fighter, Forrest Griffin, Brian Bowles, you know, world champions. There was that time. We were the original alpha male when we had all those little guys training at the gym. At one time, I had like Ledbetter and Bowles and uh, Micah Miller 
and Jeff Bedard, and I got like a lot of really high level little guys. We had a little guy side of the room and a big guy side of the room. So we didn't run over the little guys, even though they were, they were tough. But you, uh, you know, people ask, you know, did you set out to do that? And it's like, it's like, it's no, we didn't, this, this wasn't the plan. The beginning of the hardcore gym, we were in, we were in like this dungeon, warehouse dungeon thing, going through walls, fixing up walls with OSB, pulling down sheetrock. We're in a freaking backyard wrestling ring held up, held up by, uh, cinder blocks as we kept going through the floor of the wrestling ring, prop it up with cinder blocks. Eventually underneath, it was more cinder blocks than ground, than, than air. And, you know, that's, we'd set out to be this fight gym and to fight. And uh, that's what we were. And just, it just became what it became very organically. And then it became the iteration it is today. You know, the, it grows and it grows and it, 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 it expanded, you know, 1,500 square feet. I'm sorry, 1,250 square feet to 1,500 square feet to 3,000 to 7,200 to 12,250. And as those, as those steps were made, it's kind of like, like you got to be, are we, are, we, are we serious about this? Because this, this is not sustainable with our present level of business acumen. And then you go find out, what you're act, you, someone finally tells you what it is you're supposed to be doing to run a business. And then lo and behold, a lot of those business things created a really powerful community with all these different people who could be a part of it. And then, you know, somewhere in between, we lost some of the fighters, but we gained something so much better. And, and, and now you have the people who can support the small group of fighters that we have and then you have to make the decision what do you what do you want to be now do you want to be a fight do you want to be a, a martial arts and fitness facility that can take in everybody yes but you also want to have a part of that where you can still train some high level fighters because they if they're going to find you then you need to be there for them also or you need to tell them no you have to go you have to go somewhere else we don't do that anymore and when you have one of the best coaches in the world at your facility and my brother is one of the best coaches in the world unfortunately hasn't always had the fighters to to absorb all that you need the athletes you need athletes to absorb that uh so you need the athletes and the coaching experience we have the coaching experience we've got a couple of the athletes now so then that starts to grow again and then when you have high-level guys fighting out of your facility, then other high-level people are going to want to come there. And then you can have the best of both worlds. Uh, I look at my buddy Chris Connolly. You know, everyone knows John Cavanaugh. But I look at my buddy Chris Connolly, who's in, Bur who's in, uh, in Birmingham, SPG Birmingham Spartan Fitness. And he's a phenomenal coach, man. He is an awesome human being, phenomenal coach. And then eventually he started getting the bodies to go along with it. You know, the, the people to mold, to help, to take that athleticism that they come to the table with or whatever knowledge they come to the table with and then mold it and shape it. And eventually he's going to have himself a heavyweight world champion in Wall Harris. It's awesome. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I get a lot of questions from people on uh, wanting to pick my brain, wanting to ask me about what I do, how do I do it, all kinds of things across the spectrum. One of the things I try and answer back with is there's a few different ways that we can work together. 
people can either um, participate by being a buyer, being a seller, or being a partner. And that's really the best way to learn. So if people have questions that have reached out to me, the best thing to do is jump on www.nicknicknick.com. And you can schedule a consultation if you're looking to sell properties, buy part properties, partner on some deals, or just get a general consultation to see where we can even fit in and where we can do business together on any level. There's options for that to set some stuff up. So please visit www.nicknicknick.com to buy, to sell, or to partner on real estate deals or opportunities. That is the place to go. That is the best way to start making money and learning the process. So um, one of the things you touched on that when we first jumped onto the call today, you were saying, um, you know, just what, what's going to happen? You know, you, you, you're through all these tough times, you build this business and then this virus comes and stuff. And I was like, ah, this won't be the end of it. But you, you hit on exactly why I think that guys like you and, and cultures like you have are going to be okay. Because one of my, my favorite things is how you do anything is how you do everything. So the, the fact that you've come up through all the martial arts you have, and like you said, you, you there's the guys that, they come in, they get their butts kicked, and then they don't want to come back again, and they never do. And then there's the people that, okay, I'm going to come back tomorrow, and I'm just going to get my butt kicked a little bit less, and I'm going to come back the next day. And I feel like somebody like you who's been so resilient and gets to a black belt, nobody gets to their black belt by not getting their ass kicked a million times on the way up and taking a beating and coming back and saying, I'm just not going to get beat as bad today. And I feel like that's the same thing that transitions into business. So the same way you handled your martial arts and your fighting career and all these things. And that, and that's really what I love to see some of the time when, when a lot of the MMA guys, the jiu-jitsu guys start talking to me about real estate. I'm like, things like this, this is going on. Like, yeah, there's a coronavirus, banks are lending, but all right, I'm in a tough position. A guy's got my back. It's no different. Do you panic and tap out and go, oh, fuck it? Or do you go, I'm just going to take a breath. I'm going to like, just think about what, how do I get, get out of here? I'm not going to tap out. I'm going to fight and fight and fight and fight and find a way to get out of here. And then I'm going to learn from that. And just that principle, I feel like it's taught on the mat and in the ring and at gyms like that better than ever. And I really like watching guys that were just out of shape, could barely make it through the warmups that are now black belts now, have fights and just the confidence, how they handle themselves personally, their relationships. And I feel like that's the kind of thing where it more of that, like I think I've seen you post some stuff about it, like people that are in law enforcement that have never been hit in the face or never been in a fight. And then the second that they're in some sort of confrontation, that fight or flight kicks and they have no idea what they're doing. They shoot somebody. Whereas being able to know how to fight and keep that calm ahead in a stressful situation. I know you've had issues at your own gym and things like that. I'm sure stuff in your personal life where if you weren't so confident and so well-trained as a martial artist, you probably were able to lower that situation, diffuse it and keep it from being something where somebody could have gotten hurt or gone to jail. And I mean, that to me is a skill in itself that I think is irreplaceable. I tell everybody like, yeah, I boxed. I consider myself a shitty boxer, but I still think the shittiest boxer in the room learns how to get hit and not freak out. And that translates into real life when you get into some sort of stressful situation and everybody else is freaking out and you're able to stay calm and really help bring some some normalcy or, or slow the situation down. I feel like that that is just something that not a lot of people have that really should in some of these things like being a police officer or a firefighter or bouncers at a club that all they ever did was lift weights. And now they're in charge of like some type of like hand-to-hand interaction. It's just crazy to me. And I watched um, Pete Drago sell work the back door at a bar for a long time and all these drunken idiots would come in and we just be, oh, he's such a nice guy. 
and like you'd be like hey you know can i see your id and they'd be like and i'd be like oh god like you can't even stand up you've never been in a fight in your life and his job is to fight people whose job it is to fight people and your drunk ass thinks you're going to beat him up and all he did was say i hope you have a nice night can i see your id like i don't think people even comprehend like the level of a third degree black belt could do to like the average person and then if somebody tried to ever fight you on the street the fact that you would not beat them up like they they just they don't get it but i feel like that that is just such a huge thing so I'm not worried about, you know, it sucks that guys like you're in a bad position right now, but to say that I think that that's going to be the end of it, I don't think that that would ever happen to you because you're not a guy who gives up easy. You're not a guy who takes the easy way out. And you don't tap out when things get tough. You, you become a stronger leader. You become a better business owner. You become a better coach. And this is going to be no different than anything else you've done in the past. Well, I mean, at the end of it, end of the day, I mean, it has to be. Because, again, like you said, it's there's there's – they only really have two options. I was talking to uh, I was talking to Lucas the other day, and uh, he was you know we were talking about what's going on and what this means and 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 he didn't want to get negative and stuff. I said you know listen we we have to at least acknowledge like like shit shit could get really bad. Like the fact that nobody knows is part of the problem about why we can we have no idea that whether or not shit's going to get really bad. And I said to him, I said, listen, man, I, it's, it was him or somebody else. It was like, it's not about my belief that shit will get bad or not get bad. It's not about being negative or positive. It's, it's about just accepting that like shit's different now. These are the, this is, this is going to be something that they write about in history books. And I can only hope that there's a reckoning when it's all over and all the people that fucked this up to the nth degree just get drawn and quartered because what's happening is just, it seems to be unacceptable. But uh, I said, whether or not I believe it's all going to go badly or what's going to, I'm, I'm going to fight it. I'm going to fight it to the end. I, you know, they, I, I was not born to be a businessman. Right. Uh, and I don't even consider myself an entrepreneur, consider myself a business owner. And I think there's a, that's, there's a difference, you know, semantics to some maybe but so i'm not i don't have an entrepreneurial mindset but i believe in what we have created in, in athens here is important not just to me and to my staff of you know 14 people that i that i pay it's 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 important to all the people that right now haven't said one word or the other about their memberships, right? It's about the people that trust us enough, that love us enough, that want to make sure we're the business that comes back when this is all over. You know, that's heard someone say, support the businesses that you want to see when this comes around and this, this ends. So they want, you know, they want to be a, they, they, they want that to exist. So if there are all those people that believe in that enough, and if I was just to give up and say, oh, well, listen, man, I got some money squared away. You know, I'll go find a job. I'll, I'll be all right. You know, Lucas, he's okay. He'll be all right. Probably even have most of my staff. They'd be, they'll be all right. And, and I give up on all of them, but I give up on all of my students that every day, every month, they look at their gym membership as, as an investment into them being better human beings then then I am truly as big a piece of shit as anyone ever thought 
out there that I was for whatever reason that I did something wrong to them. They're like that Rory Singer is a piece of shit. Then I am, I am that, but to an even higher level. And if I can spend 20 plus years on the mats, constantly trying to get better at my jujitsu, I, I do try and get better at being a business owner. You know, I'm not as good as it some others. It doesn't happen as fast as maybe it would with some others, but we are constantly trying to evolve the business and improve the business, just like we are constantly trying to evolve. And not everybody does, but I know that I'm constantly trying to evolve as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you know, martial artist, but also competing to try and really put what I've learned to the test. You know, can I be, can I take the Jiu-Jitsu I have and go beat some other black belts? But, you know, we're doing sport Jiu-Jitsu, but I don't want to do sport Jiu-Jitsu. I just want to do my Jiu-Jitsu and see if it works in that arena. Then, you know, those, those lessons are certainly, and for others, not just me, they're learned on a mat where you have to be, learn how to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. You have no choice. And again, it's the difference between someone who leaves in the first week because their ego can't handle it. And even though I still get angry when even one of my black belt friends tats me out, <laughs> I... I still, you know, I'm still coming back tomorrow. I'm still going to touch and bump and get back after it. I'm going to be a little upset about whatever might have happened, whether I think it should have or not. Uh, but that's the mat that I want to be on. I want my purple belts and my brown belts and, and, and my black belts. Guys that have come up with me, still my students in a sense, but guys who came up alongside me, you know, I have a second-degree black belt in the room now. Uh, where we're third-degree black belts. So it's like I want that to continue to happen. Because I am honest enough to know that if that doesn't happen, then I'm never really going to get any better. And if, if I want to be better at all the things, business, the gym to be better, then I have to grow and evolve from this. And whether we take lessons learned from this and it makes our teaching better or not, or the way we do things better or not, it's, I mean, something's got something's to come of this. If, I, if, if I'm still standing when this is over, then something was learned. Right now, I might not know what that is because I'm still, who the hell knows where we are in this thing? Yeah. Are we at the beginning? Are we somewhere in the middle? Are we near the end? Who the fuck, who the fuck knows? Nobody knows. But I got to figure if I am still standing and we do weather this, then we, we learn something pretty valuable along the way. And... I know we will come out stronger with whoever is left. And eventually, it's not going to matter who wants to be left. Eventually, it's not going to matter which of my students want to support the tribe. That decision is going to be made for them when they can't go back to work. And they're not pulling in a paycheck. So if we survive this, whoever survives with us, then we learn something from it. And whoever couldn't come along, if life gets back to normal, then we'll see them along with a bunch of other people that are just like, I, you know, I've only been a part of this for a short time. Like I've had people who've been a part of this, been a part of the tribe for like a month. Guy signed up two of his kids, paid in full. And has reached out as like, I am so thoroughly impressed and I'm going to pat myself on the back because that shit doesn't happen on accident. It ain't fucking magic, man. 
Like, I am super impressed with the way you have handled this. And I know I'm not the only one, but he, he uh, well, as far as he knows, I'm the only person because this is where his gym is. I know I have friends who are going above and beyond to do that, to, to deliver what they can during this. But again, that doesn't happen on accident. And things will be better if we get out of this. I should say when we get out of this, things will be better and we will be better. And the tribe will be stronger because we kept it together through probably the most uncertain time that 90% probably what 99% of my students have gone through. It's probably the most uncertain time in their entire lives. I know it's, I know it's, it isn't mine. 2008 didn't hurt me. We built a gym in 2009 when we moved into the new facility. That shit didn't hurt me. We grew and prospered during that. Will we grow and prosper during this with the economy almost coming to a halt and everybody being at home? Probably not. But people will, will know that we did everything in our power to make that happen. And like you said, it's no different than being on the jitsu mats to get to the point of being a black belt. I mean, you're a black belt. You know. You're a black belt who has to, tr- you know, you've, you were not traveling the world. You don't even have a stable environment. So you know what that's like. You know, you, you, you know what it takes to buy a 60-unit you know, condo or apartment and, and, and turn that expense into a profit. Those lessons are learned on the Brazilian, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu mats unlike any other martial art because you can't do it in a, you can't do it in a boxing gym because you get murdered in a boxing gym, like we talked about earlier on. I've had people come to me who were part of a boxing gym close by to me and they got in the ring with a ring with a pro fighter on their fourth day because they were a little bit athletic. Like, what kind of fucking place does that to people? It, it's obscene. It is, yeah. So you can't learn those lessons in... In a mixed more, you can't learn those lessons in a, in a, in a, a solely fight gym. You're not going to survive that. You're not going to survive that in a boxing gym most of the time. And you won't always survive it in every other Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu facility. Because some of those dudes are, they're, you know, they're, they're pissing on the mat. This is mine. Like, and they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna snatch your shit. But I know that in an SBG gym, and SBG gyms around the world, I've got a former world champion on the mat training you know, with, with blue belts and white belts. And you, you, will, you will become stronger in a place like that as long as you can do that pretty quickly. <laughs> you know, and people, and people allow you to because not everybody allows you to. I've been hurt training with people who the tap was so important, even though they were my training partners at the time, they were teammates of mine. But the tap was so important to them that I didn't even get a chance to tap. I was injured. It's like, so what, you know, well, not everybody, not everybody gets stronger on that mat. The strong get stronger on that mat. And I want to be a place where the weak can get stronger and one day, you know, be a black belt. Someone who didn't have any athletic prowess, didn't really play any sports, is, you know, professional by nature. But like, like what, what, where is that person going to find that? And where is that person going to get to thrive? Uh, and 
if that's what I feel like we're doing every day at SBG Athens, that's what we're helping to create. And then the guy who's supposed to be one of the leaders of that just packs it all the fuck up and says, all right, I'll see you on the flip side of COVID-19. <laughs> then I deserve all the bad things that come with that, which is, you know, the worst of it all will be my losing my gym. And then who knows where, what the cast, the downward cascade of losing my gym is when I can't provide for my family the way I need to, or my children the way I need to, or any of those things. If you guys are getting anything from the podcast and some of the great knowledge and tips that the guests are sharing, please take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or any of your platforms with some stars and some comments, helping spread the promotion and spread some visibility for the podcast, for the guests, and for the knowledge so we can continue to do this. It'd only take a minute. I appreciate it if you guys could take the time. It would go a very, very long way. Again, leave a review on iTunes, start to share, start to spread the word. I really would appreciate it if you're getting anything out of this. Thank you. Well, again, you know, I think it's it's always good business as a businessman or a business owner to realistically look at what all the different options are so you can prepare for different things. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I never see that going the way that you're saying it is, especially you got good people around you, man. I, your brother was, all you guys are really awesome. Me when I went down there, I was talking to him and I know uh, Lucas's energy is always positive. And, you know, when you're a good leader, you got your your soldiers and your teammates and your friends around you that everybody works together and that sense of community will never let that just go away. And um, again, I don't want to take up your whole day, but I did want to, because you, you touched on it too. Uh, I love hearing the experiences about the ultimate fighter. Yeah. But- if you haven't heard, I am, uh, I'm stuck at home. <laughs> two children, eight and five, who I am doing my best, doing my best to still have them be here when their mom comes home. So if you have time, I know there's only so it's like we're not a Sam Harris podcast. People aren't going to tune in for three hours, but I've completed most of my tasks. My kids are still breathing. So you got me for as long as you want me. Cool. So we're, we're talking underdogs. One of my favorite uh, ultimate fighter memories is you being the underdog. You made it to semifinals, I believe, in that season. I don't remember the guy's full name, but I think his name was Solomon. Solomon Hutcherson. Hutcherson. Hutcherson talking all that shit. And then the next thing you know, he's going, what happened? What happened? And you knocks him out cold. I believe with the head kick, if I remember correctly. So um, that's, that's gotta feel great, man. But I love that. You know, it's just, it's such a great, the unassuming, nice, polite guy goes in and just takes out the loud mouth. And I feel like, you know, that's what the whole sport is really about. And there, there's more of that. And people are learning like more than ever. What I learned from learning how to fight was not to assume that anybody like, I'm like, I don't know, but that three-foot kid that's walking by, he might be a third-degree black belt. Like, I'm like, the guys that are the least intimidating guys are the guys that beat me up the worst on a daily basis. Like, you just never know. So, and I felt like that was an awesome memory that you proved that. And um, I know I talked to Matt a little bit about it. And at the time, you were, I mean, what are we on? Season 23, 24? And you were on, what, season three? Was three, man. So that's awesome. I was on season three with... Not that long ago, middleweight champion of the UFC, Michael Bisping. So that's where he started. That's right. That's where he started. So I was on there with Michael Bisping, Ed Herman only. I mean, Ed Herman, unfortunately, got beat up not long ago. I think it's time for him to hang it up. If I were his close friend, I'd be like, I realize this is your identity, but you you should be done now. Uh, he's, 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 what's that? John Vellante, he just fought. 
Yeah, and then he get beat up. Uh, it was a close fight. Oh. Yeah, I, mean, I thought he got knocked out. That's my fault, and I apologize. He might have fought again after that. He might have fought again after that. But I know Volante was one of his more recent fights. Yeah. So, you know, so Ed was on my season. Bisbing was on my season. Uh, Kendall Grove, I know he hasn't fought in a little while, but Kendall Grove was on my season. So that was season three. And, uh, yeah, Solomon was in the – it was in my first fight. So I guess it was the quarterfinals because we only had eight back then. Uh, so we had the quarterfinals. Second round came out threw a stone a head kick then he kind of walked into it and then the knee landed put him out cold that was uh that was a little i got a little bit of bonus for that also uh but yeah that was uh that was quite some that was quite some time ago season three that was uh that was not that was not as as much fun as as you would you would you would think it might have looked like on tv yeah i mean i, I hear our stories for sure you know i know uh uh, Luke was on season two, Luke Kumo, and then Matt was on season four with Drago, and then they all came back for season six. Iaquinta was on the, the live season, which was freaking crazy. A couple guys since then, but um, yeah, it's I I've heard all kinds of crazy stories about it, man. It's it's kind of yeah. Not- you know a lot of dudes. You know a lot of dudes who are on that who are on that who are on that show. But uh, yeah, we were the first season that didn't have challenges because season two was the one uh, where they had to do the, the, like the climbing the tree on your training partner. Right. I think that was season two. So the one team, their guy did it like, uh, I don't know, like some, some ridiculous number amount of times, like 50, 80 times. I don't know. It was crazy. And then he got done and fell off. And then the other team was like, peace out. We're done. You win. And then that dude had a fight, and it was like, got wrecked or some shit. Just totally ruined the fight. So when we went on the season, they were like, we're not, we're not doing challenges anymore because uh, of what happened, what we just talked about. And then we were the first. So then it was only season three, so there weren't like a lot of seasons. But on our season, the people who lost went away, right? So they went away, but then they came back because we were so freaking boring. We were all, there was like, you know, eight, whatever there were, like eight of us in the house, like four 185ers and four 205ers. And like, we were playing chess. So we're like, nobody, nobody's tuning in for these fuckers playing chess. Send those, send those guys back in the house. Uh, so they brought them back. So no, I'm sorry. So the other seasons, I think they took them away and they went away. But then when we did it, we were getting along so well. So then they brought them, they brought them back. So then everybody st- from that season on, they, everybody started staying. So now you had all these dudes that were done out of the tournament being complete assholes to those of us who were still in it. And uh, that made for, again, made for some interesting TV. Yeah, I think it was, it was Spike TV then, right? Was that what it was on? Was that? Was that Spike TV then? Spike TV first. Yeah, the, I don't know when it left Spike, but the first – the first few uh, seasons were, yeah, for a while, were Spike TV. And then it moved to, what, I guess Fox? Yeah, yeah, I think it moved to Fox after that. It, it's crazy, man, to see where it went. Because I remember I went to, I guess it was the season four finale. Because I saw, I, I went there to go see Matt. Matt fought um, Chris Lytle in the final. Travis Luter fought, um, I forget who he fought. And then he was going to get a shot to fight Anderson Silva. Uh, Drago fought that famous fight with Scott Smith, but we were at the the joint at the Hard Rock, and it was like 
cage and then there was like three rows and then like some standing room by the bar and that was it so it was like i remember dude joe riggs was cornering somebody there and the guy next to me was like talking shit and i didn't know but joe riggs wife was sitting next to me and the guy's yelling at the cage but it's it's like 20 feet away so it wasn't like these huge arenas and the guy's yelling and as soon as the fight was done joe riggs literally walked out of the cage and walked right up to us and was like what and the guy was like oh and i was like dude it's like yelling at a lion that you know they're gonna let out but now to see that like I, I mean, I just went to, uh, I Quinta met me in, in Hawaii after his fight. And I think he said there was 67,000 people at that Australia fight card or something like that. So to see in like a little over 10 years, it go from like a 600 seater at like a bar in Vegas to stadiums is like, it's just amazing, man. And like you said, the the livings that some of these guys are making now versus what it was before. So being somebody that's really been there from the beginning, like, I mean, that's crazy how long you've been doing jujitsu. It's amazing. Um, but your, your body still seems to be holding up, man. You're still competing. Like what is your take on where the sport is today, where UFC is today being straight blast, all the Conor McGregor stuff, man. Like, like how does the world look today for MMA and UFC from a guy that's been around from the beginning? I mean, it, it certainly looks, quite a bit different i mean I, my my first amateur fight was i mean for all intents purposes it was uh it was a pro fight with one less minute <laughs> and i and i didn't get paid so you know that's where you start i remember watching uh, a good friend of mine who's a a georgia hall of famer george allen fighting at a place called the checkered parrot it was like a restaurant outdoor patio area and he, he was fighting and i'm fairly certain they were barehanded that was, I think, Adam and I's first uh, mixed martial arts event that we saw live. And uh, I was in this ring at this, like I said, at this, at this place. I remember eating, like, uh, really good wings. And, uh, and, and, and now, you know, now the, as the money comes to it and the level of, of athleticism comes to it, my uh, – I, I turn I turn the sound off so I could talk to my children who are oh, fixing they're fix they're fixing as they say down here in the south they're fitting to get it real soon, but uh so now with the level with the money still not you know with the level maybe you would think high level athletes like these athletes are but one thing my brother always talks about is athletes follow the money which is why you know your football players and basketball players or your you know some of your highest paid athletes in the world. I mean, even some of your soccer players are pretty highly paid, but uh, we start to see some of this money increasing in uh, in MMA. So you start seeing some of the athletes coming into it, and it is not it is not as they say your father's UFC anymore. I, at my best, fighting at 185. Maybe there are certainly that guy could probably still compete with some of the lower level people. But when I look at the level of big muscled athletic 185 pounders today, I mean, who do we just see? Uh, who do we just see fight? We just saw what's his name? Uh, the, the title fight Adesanya and what's his name, right? That was 185, right? Yep. I mean, just like, just like look at those two and then take that up. You can go to 70 and see similar, Similar guys go up to the level of athletes today uh, are it's, it's insane. But what I, I mean, I love that 
more, it is growing for sure. I mean, I love that. So I've got this $7 billion machine that is every weekend, not so much now, but every weekend, every other weekend, marketing this thing that I do. And people are finding what we do and looking for mixed martial arts and whatnot. And then I get to show them that not only can I teach them MMA, they can use it to fight in a cage or a ring if they want to, but these are the same techniques and the same things that law enforcement are using and special operators and special forces guys are using. But having, having this machine where people find us through MMA or find, you know, love this sport and uh, as fans of it and then come in and they get to see that, yeah, we can, I can teach you a lot of that. You never have to go do that. And the large majority of them never do. Uh, but the fact that they can get in great shape, they can really learn practical self-defense. Like I said, we're teaching it to law enforcement. We're teaching it to special forces. I mean, you go to like a place like Fort Bragg and their gym looks very much like my gym. Padded walls, jujitsu mats, and awesome strength and conditioning equipment. But those guys, and those guys are training in similar ways, obviously at a probably a higher intensity because they're 19, 20 year old studs. I mean, those are some of the best athletes in the world. They just don't happen to look like, you know, big muscled football players and stuff. But they're, they're phenomenal athletes doing a host of different things and skills. And they're training like MMA fighters because you can do it at different levels of intensity, but you can do it. You can put hands on each other. A lot of martial arts, they don't put hands on each other. They talk about being for the streets and real self-defense and blah, blah, blah. But they never really put hands on each other. So all the bad things that are supposed to happen to them in the gym never happen to them. So the first time someone waylays them, maybe not waylay, we don't waylay each other, but the first, but I got fighters who put on little gloves and beat each other up. They thump each other a little bit. But I've got at least people who are sparring safely, but they're really getting Someone's trying to punch them, not trying to knock them out. They're not leaving with concussions and forgetting how to do, you know, you know, 10th grade math, but they're, they're getting, they're, they're learning how to defend themselves against another person who's trying to win, who also has some really good skills. Uh, and most people never get to experience that until they're experiencing it against someone who's really trying to hurt them. Something my buddy, we talked about Paul Sharp earlier. The one thing that he's always trying to impress upon SBG Worldwide and his own students, and I make sure that he's impressing it upon my own students, is you are a lot more dangerous than you think, and you're likely way more, a blue belt in the gym is way more dangerous than 99% of the population that's never learned how to fight. Other people are a little bit bigger maybe, a little bit stronger maybe, and somebody who's trying to hurt you is more aggressive. But how are you going to learn how to defend yourself against that person when you're doing a bunch of contrived bullshit, Batman-style training? Like, you, I mean, you've seen the, the no-touch and the, like the Sistema and some of the other nonsense that's out there yeah. that they never really learn how to do against a resisting opponent in an alive scenario. What Those people, the first time anybody tries to hurt them, or tries to, or attacks them in any way, is basically to the death in the street, and you've never even experienced what a really good jujitsu person's gonna do, 
You're afraid of the person who has, has no idea how to do anything? That's what you're training for? If I can, if I can get after it with a black belt, if I can go train with Professor, you know, with Matt Thornton, with John Frankel, with your cousin, my black belts, go. I mean, I trained with uh, Hallen, Hallen, Hallen Gracie out in San Francisco, 31-year-old black belt is about to make his Bellator debut. Like, those are the people that I want to train with every day because the jackass on the corner, unless he's got a weapon, the jackass on the corner just swings at me. Really? That's what I'm supposed to be afraid of? I'm not afraid of that person. And then I take all my jujitsu and wrestling training against different weapons, like Coach Sharp shows us all the time. Like, I feel way more confident than anybody who doesn't do that. And my confidence is backed up by actually knowing how to, how to fight. And it's all because of mixed martial arts. It's all because I box, I wrestle, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu against people who box, who wrestle, who do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then all that changes is the stakes. You know, what is, or, or, or just the end result. The end result in Jiu-Jitsu, maybe I tap, right? End result in a mixed martial arts fight, maybe I get knocked out. End result on the street, maybe I die. But you can't, you can't train for the almost death if it means that I'm going to gouge your eyes out and grab your throat or try and rip off your balls and put them in a jar. Like, how often can you do that? How many eye bludgeonings can you withstand? But I can defend a jab. I can defend a jab against a high-level MMA fighter, you know? I can defend jujitsu against a high-level black belt. I can defend wrestling against the wrestler. So this this thing that's UFC, that's MMA, is so much bigger than just this sport. Because what it has allowed us to show regular people is that I can train you like that athlete. You can get in great shape like that athlete. You never have to fight like that athlete. But if you can defend yourself against that. You can defend yourself against whatever the fuck that is over there that's never stepped a foot on the mat in their entire life. Agree. I love it, man. Very wise words. So people in your area or people that are, you know, like me on the road and stuff like that, um, I'm a, a big um, fan of your gym. You guys treated me really good. The environment there I thought was awesome. You know, I love it. So I definitely highly recommend it. Um, but how do people link up with you guys, find you guys? Uh, you personally, your gym around the Athens area, uh, talk a little bit about how to contact you if somebody wants to come in when things are back opened up and start to train and start to, you know, test out some of the stuff. I know your facility has pretty much everything. Yes. So add the word Athens to the end of SBG. So sbgathens.com. That's our website. SBG Athens, Instagram, SBG Athens, Twitter, uh, and Type in SPG Athens, Google, you'll find our, our, our business page. So that's pretty much all very congruent. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, so it's super, it's super easy to find us. I mean, we've been, we just celebrated 20 years in business last year. Congrats. Uh, thank you. So this is 21, this will be our 21st year. We've been teaching in Athens since 1997. We've been coaching in Athens since 1997. Uh, been, you know, like Bulldog. Bulldog 100 a couple times, like top businesses with UGA grads, like four times or three times, sorry, three times, three times, four times. I don't want to lie, three or four times. <laughs> uh, 
And so we've been around for a real long time. And, you know, we do a lot of really awesome things for our community. So for like the last seven or eight years, over the last seven or eight years, we've donated over 150,000 pounds of food to the Northeast Georgia Food Bank. We do a, two, a contest every year, two weeks, you raise as much food as possible over two weeks during the holidays in, uh, in November. Last year, we raised 40,000 pounds of food, uh, just our small little gym. We, you know, we, we do toy drives, we do the food drive, we do blood drives. We adopted our street out in front of the gym, so we clean out a couple times a year. We work with uh, extra special people in Watkinsville, which is an awesome group of people. We, we just, we just, uh, we, we do a lot of good inside. But one of the things that I, just, again, proud of that culture we built inside the academy. But we do a lot of really awesome things uh, outside the academy as well in our local community. So we're, it's not just martial arts. It's not just a great workout. It's not just weight loss. It is, it is so much more. So when you join SBG Athens, become a part of something that's just way bigger than Athens. It is part of an international organization where people are doing amazing things all over the world from Portland on, on the West Coast to Australia on the other side of the world. There's an SBG with people doing amazing things, teaching and training uh, jiu-jitsu and martial arts very much in the same manner, creating really amazing tribes and communities inside their academies. And uh, we're two miles from the famed Arch UGA. So right outside downtown Athens, said 20 plus years in business, 23 years since we started the University of Georgia. And uh, all you got to do is type in sbgathens.com and you can find out uh, how you can become a member of the tribe. That is awesome. And uh, I can't thank you enough for your time when you guys were back up in business, which I am very confident that you're going to be flourishing and business is going to be booming in hopefully a very short amount of time. But as soon as you're able to stop the social distancing Please give Lucas Federico a hug. Tell Grant and uh, another one of your black belts I've been texting with about real estate, George, uh, your brother, Adam, man, just good people around you. Tell everybody I said hi. Anytime you're in Chicago or New York, man, definitely uh, hit me up. We'd love to definitely get together. Warrior Singer, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. Stay safe, and I'll be talking to you soon, man. Thank you very much for the time. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother.